Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. It's good to come to you uh, live today. You get to be part of what's happening as it happens. And it's easy to say live streaming. What you don't know is that you know Pastor Dave has spent literally hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and weeks and weeks and weeks to uh, get us where we are. So can we just say thank you to him for all the work he's given us to do this? It's good to have him and Mitchell and Morgan back on our team and uh, thank you worship team. In fact, that new song sounds familiar to me, Manu. Wasn't that the song you wrote, isn't it? You wrote that. Yeah, I remember that. So just doing that once, so, uh, just in a practice. So thank you for doing that, contributing and adding to our worship today. You know, it caught me off guard this week when God prompted me saying, Mark, I want you to do a series on Jonah. Because as, I mean, if you had told me that last Sunday, I would have, it was never on my radar. I didn't have any inkling of it. It was nowhere out there. But as, you know, you listen to God this week, he says, I, I really want you to do this, this series on Jonah. And as I began to read the book again and study it, I could see why this is a word for us today. Uh, The word of Jonah caused me to examine my own motives. It really has, and my own life. And I believe because God's word is a living word that you are going to, uh, it's going to help change you and grow you as well. So the purpose of the series is not just to retell a familiar story, but rather in the light of Jonah's story, to look at our own life, to look at the life of our church in relation to what God is calling us to do today. So would you just join me as we, I pray as we enter into this uh, new message in this series today. God, thank you uh, for uh, allowing um, us to participate in your word and your truth today, and that we can have, we have the opportunity to apply it to our life and the life of our church. God, just bless this time as you are able to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin the story, and Jonah, the very beginning says this, the story, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, Jonah is an Israelite. And what you need to know about uh, the people of Israel is they did not like the people of Nineveh. (laughs) Israelites like Jonah uh, had no desire to go and help people uh, in in, in Nineveh. They they just opposed them. It's kind of like if you know rivalries today, I think the greatest rivalry Rivalry in hockey is probably that between the Montreal Canadiens and Boston uh, Bruins. So it'd be like it'd be like this. It'd be like Jonah if he's go preach to the Ninevites. It's like sending, at least in my day, it's like sending Bobby Orr to go play with the Canadians and train them. I mean, that just would be horrible. Or it'd be like if you ever watched the show, the show Corner Gas, it would be like Brent from um, Dog River going to play goalie for the team in Wollerton. It's right. It's like one of the Hatfields helping the McCoys. So if you know this, the Ninevites were a cruel people. They they uh, were they would they, they would capture their enemies, skin them, and hang their skins on the wall of the cities to warn people and and about you know just like we're bad, we're bad. Don't mess with us. So Jonah has no compassion for these ruthless people. <coughs> our Jonah, our God, I mean, calls Jonah to go to preach to these people of Nineveh who he has no compassion for so that they would have a chance to repent of their sins. And so we read in this verse, in verse 3, but Jonah got up 
and went into the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Isn't that funny? Uh, he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found the ship leaving for Tar- Tarshish. So are we, are we to understand here that a prophet of Jonah, a prophet of God, is choosing to run in the opposite direction of where God's calling him to go? That, that's what's happening. It, it, this is exactly what we're seeing. Jonah is trying to get away from the presence of God. And, and you would think the prophet of God would know you can't do that. You, you, you need, okay, God is everywhere. <coughs> I think pastors tell the worst jokes. And I thought I've heard them all. But there was one my father-in-law likes to tell, talk about that I think is kind of cute. Uh, there, there was a banquet <coughs> for students in a seminary. And there was a buffet style. So like all buffets, they put all the um, healthy stuff, like the salads and the fruits at the beginning. And, and you, you know, that you're trying to avoid. And avoid them because, you know, if you, if you fill up your plate with salads and fruits, by the end of the buffet where all the good stuff is, the roast beef and the crabs, legs, and, and desserts, you'll have no room in your plate. I mean, you, you should know this. And at this, this particular buffet, there was a sign at the front of the buffet where all the healthy stuff was, and the sign said this, one, only one apple per student, God is watching. One of the brighter seminary students decided to make a sign of his own, and at the end of the buffet, he put up a sign where all the good stuff was saying, eat all the desserts you want, God is watching the apples. Now, God is omnipresent. He, he is everywhere. He's present at the apples as well as he is at the end where the desserts are. And you think Jonah would know that God is as present in Tarshish at, that he's running to as he is in Joppa where God called him to go preach to these Ninevites. And we might want to ask, well, at this point, well, why? why if the, if the Ninevites are so bad, if they're so wicked, if they're, they're these enemies of God, why is God calling Jonah to go to them, to to, to tell them like there's pending doom and judgment coming your way. Turn your life around. And I believe the answer we find in 2 Peter 3, 9, because it describes God. It says, the Lord does not want any person to be punished forever. He wants all people to be sorry for their sins and turn from them. That's the heart of God. That none would perish, but rather everyone would come to accept his amazing saving grace. That is the heart of God. So it's also his mission for all to come, to work that all would come to know him. So Jonah, here's your mission. Go and speak to these people. Now look chapter 15. If you read that chapter, you're going to find Jesus giving story after story of lost being found and then celebrated. A shepherd finds, you know, one of his sheep is lost. He goes out and finds the sheep. When he finds it, he calls all his neighbors and says, look, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And then Jesus says this, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In the same chapter, Jesus talks about a woman who had 10 silver coins and she loses one. And so she's desperately looking. She's forgetting out the light, the candle, and finding where is this coin. And she finds it. She calls her neighbors, and she celebrates the lost coin, which was found. And again, Jesus says this, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. I was telling her elders this past week how I've been thinking about what should we celebrate here at the Gate Church? What does a win look like for us? 
And to use another sporting analogy in baseball, you celebrate when a player from your team crosses home plate. People begin to cheer. People high-five each other. The music begins to roar. Now, there are many aspects to a baseball team. You have stadiums. You, have, uh, you raise funds to hire good people, and you provide training, you provide coaching. All of these are important, but what is worth celebrating, what was celebrated is that one of those teammates crosses home plate. Because the truth is you can have great stadiums, you can raise lots of money, you can have good players with lots of training, but unless those players cross home plate, none of this other stuff will matter. For example, people don't celebrate great stadiums if their team is failing to cross home plate and winning games. So as a church, we can have a, a great building and we can have, raise great funds and have, hire tremendous staff and have strong t- training and coaching and life groups and so forth. But what does it all lead to? What is it that we are to celebrate as a church? So I'm sitting in my office just around the corner there and I'm, I'm sitting on my couch and this, this book caught my attention, a book I've read uh, a few years ago. It's called Move. And I thought, well, the vision for our church this year is, is moving forward. So I thought, yeah, I should pull that out again and have a look at it. And it's about a, a, the, the people, the authors of these books studied uh, a thousand churches. And this shared in the book, it's called, they reveal what these churches revealed for us uh, regarding spiritual growth. So the, the book begins, begins to talk about the work of the church, how it can be difficult. And it can be challenging and difficult, but what isn't difficult is, is to understand what our mission is. Jesus is quite clear. He said, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples, that is, disciples teaching disciples, disciples making disciples, to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So the mission is clear. We don't have, we don't have to struggle, like, what are we supposed to do? And how we go about carrying this mission is quite clear because Jesus says this. He also says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the book then says, includes this. So the purpose of our churches, our commission as church leaders, is to help people in our congregations to become disciples who obey Jesus by loving God and others, That's what Jesus wants to achieve. It's clear. I can understand that. Jonah was given a clear directive, not too difficult to understand. Jonah, go preach to the people of Nineveh. But Jonah did not respond to God's directive and word, but instead chose to respond based on his own bias, his own feelings towards these Ninevites. Jonah obviously felt these people did not deserve the grace of God. They did not deserve to be forgiven. They did not deserve to be redeemed. And perhaps there are people whom you might feel the exact same way today uh, towards that Jonah felt towards the Ninevites back in his day. Maybe there's a segment or a kind of people you feel they deserve the punishment. You know, they deserve to experience the wrath of God. But what Jonah failed to realize, what you and I can fail to realize is this, All of us deserve God's punishment. And all of us were enemies of God. Romans 5.10 tells us, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die. When? While we were still sinners. While we're enemies. It's much easier 
to accept the idea of God saving people who are just like me, isn't it? Uh, these are people who think like me, who have morals like me, who vote like me, who even dress like me. But when God says, wants to save those who are not like me, or maybe worse, uh, they are my enemies, we push back and we protest. We don't want to participate in their salvation. Now, being a prophet, Jonah would, had known the word of God. He had the first five books of the Bible. He would have known that. He, he would know the character of God. He knows that God hates sin, but he also knows that God is compassionate and would give people the opportunity to repent and change. Though Jonah knows the word of God, he isn't living his life according to what he knows. One of, you know, one of the moving forward questions we were given last week for self-examination, remember that? I gave you a list of questions that are on our website. Um, you, can, you can use these every week, but the very first question was, how did the Bible live in me this week? How did the Bible live in me this week? And why is that such an important question for, for you and I? Because we can attend church services. We can, do, we can attend church services year after year, and yet not move forward in the areas God's calling us to move forward in. We can hear the word of God, we can know the word of God, but the word of God does not live in me. There is no growth or little growth, no change in becoming more like his, conforming more to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Why? Because attending and listening to the truth is not enough. You need to apply. You need to apply the truth in order for change to happen. And you know what that requires? I heard, I heard us praying about it this morning in our prayer start, humility. The opposite of humility is what? Pride, that's right. And your pride will cause you to lean on your personal preferences, as Jonah does here, instead of God's instructions for your life. See, the Bible gives testimony to itself by teaching us this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize, do you hear that? To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So you can hear the word of God, but pride will not cause you, allow you to realize when we're falling short, when you're wrong. The word of God will correct you by challenging your opinions and your preferences on how you think life should be lived and what you think is right. But the pride will put up a roadblock where needed change needs to take place in your life. We need to apply what you hear to your life. We love doing it for everybody else. But get along with God and say, God, where do I need to apply this? It's okay to allow the word of God to challenge you. In fact, I would say it is needed. I like this quote. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. If your pride will not allow God's word to challenge you and change you, God says, I will come to oppose you. Bible says this in James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I, I, wanted, I choose grace over opposition. I choose the grace of God to be applied to my life instead of the opposition. How about you? There's that, that great um, Anglican minister, John Stott, who's gone now, but he said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. 
And it's what he's saying, do we realize how dangerous pride is to our souls and how it greatly hinders our intimacy with God and our love for others? We'll never be able to partake in the mission and the command of Jesus if there's pride in our life. Being unmoved and unchanged by the truth is the reality of the hardened heart. Remember when God commissioned Isaiah, go and preach to, uh, you know, God says, who will I send? And Isaiah says, I'm here, I'll go and preach. And God said, Isaiah, I want you to know this. They're going to hear what you're going to say. They're going to see what you say, but they will remain stubborn to doing their own way of life. They will not repent. In fact, God says this, you hear, but do not understand. You look and look, but do not see. Jonah, a prophet of God, knows God. He knows the word of God. And yet does not respond to the character of God, but chooses to follow his own perspective. He responds to his own bias. He responds to his own way of how he sees things. And instead of responding to God's call to go to the Ninevites, With the same compassion God has for lost people, Joshua chooses to respond with his preferences towards the Ninevites, which is hate and condemnation. It was this despisement for the Ninevites which drove Jonah to flee in the opposite direction. It was his own opinion which led him to Tarshish when God's compassion was calling him to Nineveh. It was his self-righteousness that drove Jonah to Tarshish when God's righteousness was saying, no, go to Nineveh. By definition, self-righteousness is having or showing the attitude of someone who strongly believes in the rightness of his or her own actions and opinions. It's showing the attitude that I strongly believe in that I'm right. My actions are right. My opinions are right. And Jesus is very clear what this looks like in case we're, we're kind of confused. Uh, he tells us this story. I love this story. That Jesus told the story of someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness. And what did he do? And scorned everyone else. Now let me pause here for a moment because this, this, here's the red flag. Jesus talks about a self-righteous person as someone who has great confidence in their own righteousness. That is, they live by their own standards. They live by their own preferences, from their own perspectives. And here's the problem. Since they live by their standards and their preferences, they're never wrong. Do you know what self-righteous people cannot do? They don't feel the need to confess. Why? Because everyone else falls short of their standards. So as Jesus says, they scorn everyone else but they fail to see how they themselves are falling short of God's standards. So Jesus continues. He said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious leader. The other was the despised tax collector. When the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven. And he prayed, Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. 
So listen to what Jesus, the Son of God, teaches us about this story. He says, I tell you this, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One of my commentaries on on this passage said this, dedicated kingdom living involves prayer that confesses one's sin and seeks God's forgiveness, not prayer that extols self and excludes others. That's what the righteous, self-righteous do. They, 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 exalt, they, they banded others, but puffed themselves up. And you see how this tax collector has a different attitude than that, that of the religious man. The tax collector, is, is a, he has a, he's praying out of humility. It's a prayer of humility, of dependence, a prayer of desperation before God. The tax collector was grieved over his condition as a sinner. The religious man is proud. He's confident. The religious man described his righteousness. This is who I am. The tax collector begged for mercy and forgiveness. What do we learn from the story of Jesus is this. The character of the person is more important to God than their identity or their title. The self-righteous measure themselves by their own accomplishments. Listen to them. Listen to them talk. The humble measure themselves by the character of God, which will lead to confession, which leads to growing in Christ. Do you want to know, if you want to know how, if, am, I, am I more like the religious man or the tax collector? I, I'm, going about, I'm going to earn my paycheck in 20 seconds here this week. Do you want to know if you're more like the religious man or the tax collector? Just answer this question, okay? When was the last time you confessed wrongdoing to another person or asked for forgiveness? How long has it been since you confessed to God and to someone else and or asked for forgiveness from someone? You see, the word of God is true. The word of God corrects. We saw that. So if, if, you, if you align yourself with that, you, you're going to find reason and cause to confess. How can you not? The self-righteous don't have to confess. They're always right. They always meet their standards. But for the rest of us striving to align ourselves with the character of God, we see the shortcomings in our life. We see the areas where we are to grow to be more like Jesus. We have this joy of intimacy with God because we allow God to come and explore and teach and correct and, and us in such a wonderful way that we're being transformed more and more in the image of his son. What a great way to live. But God can't work in your shortcomings or in your sin until you confess them. And you won't see them if you're just measuring, like, this is what I believe, this is my standards, because you'll never fail. But put yourself beside God, with the word of God, and you say, oh, here's an area I need to grow. The Bible, God, you know, God, he, he teaches us this truth. He says in James, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So why? So that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has what? Great power and produces wonderful results. So allow the word of God to change you to where you need to confess. Confess where and when you have fallen short. Don't allow pride to keep you from growing in God and knowing God. There's no weakness in confession. It just means that I'm not God. 
and I'm growing. To me, that's strength and humility. I was struggling with anger towards someone recently. In my morning time, the Lord said, just said, said, Mark, just pray for this person because I love them. And I want them to grow in their faith. Now, if I choose to live according to my preferences, I would remain stuck in my animosity towards them. I would become bitter and remain bitter by my own perspective of how things this person should act. But then I started to align myself with God's word and his character. And I could see the error and the transgression of my way. I fell short, and it led me to confession. That's what happens. Not only did I confess to God, but I texted a couple guys in our church that I trust and confessed to them and told them what I heard from God. That's, part, that's called spiritual growth. According to John, James 5.16, confession is where healing happens. Confession is where the power is found. Confession is, wonder, is where the wonderful results are being produced in your life. Why would you allow pride to rob you of that? What are you afraid of? People already know. <laughs> so why not just confess and admit that there's areas that I need to grow in, and it's obvious. And maybe as you begin to examine your own life in the light of Jonah, you come to realize a need for God to do this, what I call Ezekiel 36, 26 surgery in you. Because there God says this, and I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart, the heart of pride, and give you a tender, responsive heart. That's the heart of humility. In the coming weeks, we will see how Jonah changed. Jonah went to, the, to Nineveh. He preached to them. He warned them. They did re- listen. They did apply the truth to their life, and they did repent. But Jonah would have to go through a lot of stuff before we get there. There is so much at stake for us today as a church to get stuck in self-righteousness. There's so much at stake for us today as a church to respond in judgment instead of compassion. There's so much at stake to say, never say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Did you know that people in our society are confused and lost? Have you figured that out yet? They may not come right out and tell you, but they're asking us to rise up and be the church because they need hope. They need direction. And that's all the unrest that we are experiencing in so many fronts these days. The world is waiting upon the church to wake up, stand up, and walk. I, w- I was caught off guard, uh, was it two weeks ago, as recently as a couple weeks ago, that the top movie on Netflix Canada you know how they show you the top movies people are watching? The top movie was Left Behind. And the movie's about a worldwide disaster. The raptors come, and it depicts how these people, how Christians are suddenly disappear, and are taken up to heaven, and everyone else is left behind. Now, the movie was not received well by critics. I think in Rotten Tomatoes, got 1% out of 100. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, I'm not even sure of how accurate the portrayal of the events are. But what I know is this, people have questions. It doesn't become the top movie all by itself. People are tuning in and saying, 
what is there? What, what, what direction? What hope is there for me? They're looking for answers because there are roughly 5,500 movies and television shows on, on Netflix to choose from. And of all those, that one movie left behind, which wasn't critically well-received, which was made seven years ago, was number one. The world knows it's in trouble. And it's looking for answers. We know the answer. What are we prepared to do about it? Worship team will come, and I want us to pray for us as a church today as we begin this study in Jonah. We're going to learn a lot about me and you and the church in light of Jonah. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the truth. You said the truth will set us free. And God, that means if we don't apply truth, we're in bondage. We, we are stuck. And Lord, I can see how Jonah was stuck, how even though he knew your character and knew who you were, knew the word of God, he thought he could escape you and run away from you and hide from you. And, well, we know that's just not possible. We know, Lord, in the coming weeks, we're going to see that Jonah had to come to a place of confession and change God, how we need that. How we need to not align ourselves to my opinions, my perspective, my preferences, because I'll never be wrong that way. But once I stand beside you, God, I think, oh, okay, I can see areas for growth that are needed. And how wonderful they are when we apply them to our life. I mean, you said you've come to give us life and life to the full. That's what you mean. So I want you to give me life to the full. Correct me, change me, encourage me, God. Discipline me if necessary. Father, for we want to be all about your heart and about your mission to reach the Ninevites who are around us today who are lost and confused and will be doomed unless they come and hear and repent. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.